0: Okay, we've hit record. for actually recording this time. Yay! And I'm hitting start the... All right, you're listening to Data Plus Love. My guest with me tonight is Hunter Hansen. We're recording on National Women's Day. It's very exciting. We're both dads of daughters. Uh, Hunter, you probably know from his hit blog, The Life Autistic. He's also a business analyst at Apple and does uh, writing for uh, some rural satire as well. Uh, Hunter, welcome to the podcast. How are you tonight?
1: Zach, thanks for having me i'm here it's a great (laughs) evening it's quiet dark i'm an hour hour behind on my sleep but oh well that's why there's coffee and hunter
0: doesn't know i'm about to do this but uh we already talked for 20 minutes when i forgot to hit the record button uh that's the kind of professional operation i'm working here people so Uh, He is now all loosened up. Uh, He's used to talking and has already uh, used 20 minutes of his A material. Yeah,
1: exactly. I know all my best jokes and everything that was, you know, I even spoke some Icelandic in that first 20 minutes and it is gone. It is lost in the ether. My apologies. Hopefully we can conjure up some really great sauce in the uh, 39 minutes we have left here. I think we're just going to do
0: callbacks to the uh, unheard episode. Like, remember when we were talking (laughs) about this
1: uh, 25 minutes ago? That one one botched joke about Home Depot lumber being ground up into homemade toilet paper. I know, just like that one thing. And you laughed because it was funny back then. And you remember laughing. So, yeah, that would be a a good meta joke for like this and other just missing episodes in the gap. So this will be like. Uh, how many episodes have you done uh i think
0: six maybe um, okay i've got five out there i've recorded six you're gonna be yeah. seven
1: number seven okay I, I believe that is lucky but am i seven or eight like seven a was the uh <laughs> the lost tapes and seven b was the rest but ah nonetheless you are right i'm a lot more loosened so but thank you i am. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a hit blog, but it is a blog and it's had like one hit, which uh, I will say it's one of the weirder ones because I have the stats and there are a lot of uh, recurring page hits on my one post about working for a boss or manager on the autism spectrum. So I, uh, like, I remember taking that picture that I used for it. It was probably at four a dang clock in the morning. I, I don't know why I did it. It was early. I, I mean, not why I woke up. I'm, I'm up pretty early. But it was it just happened to serve. And then I wrote out a few points on, like, hey, I, I'm an autistic boss. I have managed people. I have managed people who have managed people. I've hired. I've fired pretty well. Uh, not for firing, but, you know, for just all <laughs> elements of it. Um, but you know, like it was just one of those. Like I, like I said, that's you know, uh, of my one hit. Like that's one where I feel like people are gonna come across that. They're gonna come across a manager who they're gonna know something's different and not not bad, but just just different. And I I felt I wasn't really openly autistic and disclosed back then, but there were things I did that uh, you know very much reflected uh, my neurological uh, my neurological bent and. You know, just things like, hey, I don't like surprises. So I'm going to be very open about reaching out out of the blue. Like, hey, Brandon, you know, I know this is sudden, but I want to talk to you about X, Y, and Z. Do you mind if we can meet? Because normally people will just say, hey, can I call you? Are you busy? And like that time I'm freaking out. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be managed. <laughs> like in that sense, I don't like surprises. Like it's just there's too many unknowns. and I think that's a normal Uh, that can be a normal anxiety. But in in my life, autistic, it is, it is like, uh, it's almost harrowing. So to manage against that was very positive. So yeah, that's, um, that's a long correction. But uh, (laughs) but thank you. I I appreciate the compliment.
0: So you talk about uh, sort of revealing to people that you're autistic and being openly autistic. This leads me to a couple different points. And I'll start off with one. Uh, At what age did you realize that you were and how did that come about?
1: Man, that's a good one because I, I like you develop a certain kind of self-awareness just throughout life, and then you like just your earliest memories, you know, like knowing okay, I'm a person, I remember things, and you kind of backtrace a little bit of it. But I knew I was different pretty early on, and my my growing up experience, thankfully, it was itinerant. We moved around a lot due to the uh, the Navy life but some places were far worse than others and were a lot better at reminding me that I was not like other kids, my age. And it was, it was unfortunate. It was sad. And, you know, I remember just in tears very upset and just wondering why I couldn't be normal. Like I would, I would have wanted to have forsaken the gifts of, you know, using big words and having a a, a really prominent memory and, you know, uh, even stilted interactions, acting like a grown up. Like I just, just wanted to be normal for a bit. Kind of glad that did not come to pass. But uh, I was, I think it was fifteen or sixteen when, you know, my uh, parents were just kind of exploring a little bit more of the nuance in in autism and just different, like I think Aspergers and other elements of it. And of course, they were there since day one of my childhood. And it was like they were reading this. I remember just sitting on the couch. They're like, Hunter this is you. I'm like, what? And it was almost like they had just missed it. Maybe not missed, but you know, the the science on that back then was just not not as great. But it was almost like we'd found a profile that fit everything I did as a kid and kind of really connected the dots. But I remember at 16, figuring that all out and thinking, cool, now I know why I'm different. And I worked against that to hide it <laughs> the best I could. Cause I'm like, okay, cool. And now I know I'm weird and awkward and there's something legitimately strange about me. Okay, now that I know, how can I bury this and completely reframe it and develop like an Iron Man suit so that, you know, if I know I think like this, how can I act differently? Which is funny because again, we just talked about openness in the space and I kind of consider it my, my open secret these days. It was not always this way, and it took a long time to reckon with myself and to, you know, encounter periods and stages and seasons to where, you know, obfuscating that and trying to bury it was just doing me more harm than good. So I appreciate you and all your work you do with your blog
0: because it's really sort of opened my eyes. I'm neurologically typical. I have a daughter that's not. Um, my oldest daughter, Genevieve, is eight, and she has um, she has dyslexia and dysgraphia, so she has trouble reading and trouble writing. Uh, she also is ADHD, which is common mm-hmm. in pretty much all dyslexic. Um, it yeah. was a big revelation in my house uh, because I had a daughter who was you know, in kindergarten, even was pretty good at math, uh, but didn't really seem interested in any of the writing stuff. And at the time, we just thought, she's not really into it, she kind of blows that stuff off. Then by the time we got to first grade, it started to become a crisis, because Mm -hmm. every single night, we'd have to go through flashcards, she would have assignments, she would do excellent in math, um, she would do super poor in any sort of writing or reading thing, Uh, to the point where I could be, you know, getting her to read simple sentences and there might be a word in there like where, and she would see it as a different word every single time she approached it. Uh, Mm -hmm. and that's when we started to become concerned and, you know, got her tested and by now she is dyslexic and we're fortunate that, you know, major advances have been made in these areas where they now know hey, you can teach dyslexics, but you can't teach them the same way you teach everyone else.
1: Yeah. It's, I think I am, I don't want to say I'm optimistic. I mean, is that that makes me sound too happy. But I am grateful and I am hopeful uh, just for, you know, for like autism in the future and for a whole bevy of, you know, neurological conditions and places on the spectrum. And, you know, to use a cliche, like knowledge truly is power. It's I mean, it's a key to unlocking. And yes, yeah, sometimes it feels like we are sticking that key into this just dank, intractable lock. But at least we're getting close to breaking it. And just in terms of the the empathy that we create, the awareness, and just planting that seed that you know these are differences that you approach differently. It's not always a deficit. It's it's just it just requires a more thoughtful. Understanding patient approach that isn't, um, you know, if I hark back to just more like traditional mores of, you know, decades ago, it's not, you know, kids who don't want to learn and don't want to behave. There's just a lot of, you know, challenges that many cannot articulate at such a young age until they grow up and start blogging about it, you know. So I, but yeah, I, you know, I, I used to teach sixth grade and I had one kid I had that, a very similar combination and it was, it was difficult you know, even then to kind of check my own awareness and say, yeah, this kid, you know, unfortunately, uh, not a lot of home support, which really influenced a lot of negative behaviors, which only compounded the fact that, you know, the dude really (laughs) needed some help and some support. So I, I mean, it's a struggle either way. But I think now that we've, you know, created more understanding around this space. We are, you know, creating more support and honestly creating, you know, better lives, kind of one mind being open more at a time, I would say.
0: So at my daughter's school, we have her in a uh, special school for dyslexia. There's only 14 in the country and we're super fortunate that one is 15 minutes from my house. I mean, nice. it costs a small fortune, but it's there. And yeah. at this point, we can't not intervene. It's This is going to yeah. shape the rest of our life. Um, but yeah. one of the things they do is they sort the kids into houses like in Harry Potter. So they've got hmm. um, four famous dyslexics. Uh, they've got House of Jobs, who I'm sure you'd relate to, uh, Edison, Einstein, and, um, and Newton, I believe. Um, yeah. But they also have this wall of autist- uh, not wall of dyslexics when you walk in. Mm-hmm. And among those, you'll see Steven Spielberg. Uh, you'll see uh, all the names I just mentioned. You'll see, yeah. um, I think Warren Buffett's up there. You'll see just uh, mm-hmm. Walt Disney. All these people that yeah. were sort of luminaries of creativity and all sorts of different industries that saw things differently. That's one of the things yeah. that's common to uh, both um, dyslexia And autism you don't perceive things the same way that everyone else does the same inputs are coming in but they're not being processed the same way and uh, they try to make sure the kids realize hey don't think of yourself as being wrong or broken you see things Mm -hmm. differently and obviously there can be upsides to this if you learn how to you know take advantage of it so in terms of that uh adam miko talks about his autistic superpowers what's what are your autistic superpowers?
1: Yeah. Mm. (laughs) I, you know, I think uh, it's funny you mentioned your daughter. I was the absolute obverse of that. I read from a very early age, kind of fearsome memory. I joke that it's not really great, but I only do that because I can remember a scary amount of things about a lot of incidents enough to where it just, it ends up freaking people out. So I, I stopped (laughs) stopped highlighting that Uh, very good at, like a lot of like pattern and aberration recognition. It's like it's on it's on hyperdrive. Uh, Deep focus is another good one where I can, so the the, the older term for it is like autistic obsessions. Uh, I think there's newer language along the lines of enthusiasms that uh, it probably describes it a bit better. And I, I have told people, you know, kind of like hush hush. I'm like, hey, if you want me to like deliver some analysis, you know, I need a date, I need a deadline, or just get me curious about it. Because that, like, I cannot override that. I will dig into it and just, you know, like, I mean, it's bad, because I have to budget for it. But, you know, there's just this really deep latched sense of like, oh, my gosh, I have to figure this out. This is just so entrancing and enthralling. So yeah, memory, recall, precision, order. Um, I'm really tidy, really put together um pretty inflexible that can be a superpower um ordered tend to be predictable you know but i'm also you know i i like to i like to battle back against entropy right i just you know i i joke that like some people you can tell they've like lived there and it's just it just gets uglier the longer they're there like for me i honestly if i house that for you you know, it'd be cleaner the longer I stayed there, you know? So I guess that's a good one. Like I, I like to think my wife and kids appreciate that because their toys magically disappear and get put away, you know, as I follow behind them, like Mo, the little robot and Wally. But yeah, more professionally, I, I can also read a ton of information quickly and synthesize it enough to where it gets me in trouble. Like I will respond to a very long email to say, hey, I got it, great points, thank you, and get responses like, there's no way you read that. And I said, okay, look, Dude, um, I I used to work on a printing press. I majored in English. I could read 200 pages a night at work. I finished Moby Dick in three nights, you know, and had to write a paper and take quizzes. Like, I'm really good at this kind of thing. And I don't want to have to spell it out. But if you want to check my LinkedIn and figure out like why I might have a certain talent to digest and synthesize, analyze and assess a large amount of information, especially written, um, yeah, I'm your I'm your guy. So yeah, it, it's great. I mean, yeah, we got our share of autistic kryptonite too, but there's there's some fringe benefits, uh, you know, which is which is good. They serve me well.
0: Well, I can definitely see how a lot of those would lend themselves to working with data really well. I mean, you've got something that could either be highly structured or unstructured, but if you're curious and tenacious and you have a good memory and pattern recognition, that's really going to lend itself to uh, to diving deep into that.
1: I'd like to think so. I it's kind of funny because I, you know, I tell this anecdote to a lot of people and I don't know, it doesn't get the reaction. I, I feel like it should, because it, it's just uh it's incongruous and it doesn't make sense. So in, um, late 2014, I, this is like around when I moved into a managerial level position where I managed, you know, people who managed others, I Had six direct reports had 120 employees total Kind of a big deal. I was, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty remarkable accomplishment, you know. And there was, there was a lot of good I did there. But you know, in the interview process, uh, the question was like, "What's your biggest area of opportunity?" And without hesitation, I said, "Reporting, like reporting and data, isn't my strong suit." And, and it wasn't. Uh, it had been a lifelong struggle. I all of my worst school memories involved math. Um, my joke is, you know, like math, not even once, you know, and I get like, you know, half a <laughs> laugh from people. Who, no, thank you. Okay. You know, it's like, if anyone's got got math, it. not even, okay, guys, it. it's like, come on, people got to read somewhere. Anyway, so, you know, I, I chose my history degree and then tacked on another like English major to it with the, like, one of the primary goals was to avoid. Taking any math classes throughout college, which oddly enough, I found Bo McCready did the same thing too, and I'm like, oh, thank God, there's, I'm not the only one who's special and can do this. So I felt, I felt really good about that. And there's many others who pursued that field. Uh, Elijah Meeks, same thing, like he pursued more of a liberal arts degree, and he's stellar. So I, I feel like there's hope for little old me in that space. But that was such, it was such an aversion that I, I ran from it. That um, I will say this when. After enough time in the managerial space, I, I was known as the the English guy, the the communications person. Like, if you want a message out there, you talk to H2. And that, I wore that with pride. I had done some temporary job assignments where that was my sole focus. But along came an opportunity where, you know, I, I worked on this uh, said opportunity for a while. And I realized that there were elements of just, it's not always about the numbers, it's about the story. It's about the narrative and the insights. And it's not human to translate numbers into this is what I should do. And I was good at like having to translate that for myself and really shape that into where I can make this easy for me to assess and understand because I don't, I can't look at a number and figure out what to do right away. Embarrassingly, like sometimes simple calculations. I'm like, I got to do this on my calculator just to make sure I remember what 22 minus seven is. It sounds silly, but welcome to my world to where, you know, numbers don't come easily, but they do come eventually. And yeah, so it's like one of those where I, I got enough of like, hey, you're the communication guy to where I wanted to rotate and try something to where I could come back and be unimpeachable, where I could be the words and the numbers guy. So it is funny now like you know 5 years in people now refer to me as the data guy the reporting guru the analyst guy analyst, and I just I laugh and it's like you do know my my true love is writing and satire and wordplay and you know even some poetic discourse on twitter I'm like that that's the life I I was more predisposed to this data bug is a is a recent revelation to me that you know thankfully we've developed tools that help bring in more You know, artistry, visuals, uh, compelling narratives to where it's not just analyzing rows on a spreadsheet, but rather, um, you know, divining the narrative and the propelling thoughts from them. I knew that. And I I, I feel like I'm, I'm glad I've been able to, you know, at least leverage a lot of what I feel I've been naturally good at and, you know, just being able to tie things together, find disparate elements and, really you know see some signal through noise and you know trying to some degree to say like hey i'm not crazy well i am but here's the data as proof like okay like i don't want to have to convince you with some you know rhetorical flourish and sophistry i have the data to back up my argument now so even if i'm weird and i'm using a big word you don't understand data don't lie y'all so it has it has combined to make for rather compelling season in my career
0: that's great i I have a colleague, uh, data David Deluxe on Twitter, David yeah. Kelly in person. Yeah. Uh, he was a French major. So, I mean, oh, wow. David is more analytically sound than me. He's like deep into that. I am much more of a sort of dig and find and he is much more uh, methodical. But uh, both of us got there. I came from a business background and got my MBA and then sort of we both yeah. ended up on a similar path. Um, and I've worked together quite some time, and you know we really uh, benefit from working uh, closely together. But yeah, it's great that you you say that because for me, it's never really been about math because um, I'm not naturally great at math. I'm better than some people I know, but I, I'm never going to be throwing calculus and trig around. Uh, I am like a, I guess a logic guy. If I can yeah. sort of logically into it, what's missing or what's here and then sort of parse things out and make decisions from incomplete data. Um, That's what so much of it comes down to. And it's so much easier now than when I was strictly working with like SQL and just business objects, um, using tools like Tableau where I can actively throw up a bunch of charts very quickly to investigate something. Before actually having to uh, codify and, you know, solidify something into an idea I'm going to present to somebody else. But it does make data manipulation so much easier. I mean, even if I'm just answering answering simple ad hoc queries for people sometimes, I'll just do it in Tableau. Because a lot of people respond much better when I'm able to show some visual to it than just strictly listing a column of numbers. I have some business owners that are terrified of numbers and if you yeah. can avoid just giving them the numbers that's great it's sometimes just knowing your audience that i would say
1: is that right there the last point knowing your audience so key it just it just is i think me i joke because i, I need to know to what degree can they tolerate my humor and <laughs> once i answer that i feel like it helps unravel so much uh One of the, you know, I, again, can't, can't say too much about work, but one of the things that I've found really beneficial, just professionally, like, I just never thought, me being me, that my greatest success in data and analytics would be on the people skills bit. That, like, I wouldn't have believed that had you come back from the future to have told me that. And had you come from the future, I probably would have asked for like gambling tips instead. But hearing like, hey, Hunter, you know how you can't like really talk to people and you you sound weird and, you know, you're just straight awkward. Well, actually, you're going to turn this into a hidden strength. And in fact, it's going to be a hidden strength to complement something that you built as a strength. I'd be like, "Okay, but that is that is my reality these days. And just finding that, you know, when you when you build trust, you know, like, everything seems to follow from that. Like, obviously, I, I love, you know, working in Tableau. It's, it kind of scratches the artist's itch a little bit. I mean, it helps blend in and visualize different things. But, you know, ultimately, it's like this, like what I'm going to tell you, you're going to believe. And that's a great responsibility. But being able to show it almost like puts it in color. Like I, not only do you trust me with this, but I'm going to present it into you, to you with some kind of aesthetic thought in a way that you prefer like this is complex enough to where you would get it this is simple enough to where you some other person would get it so it's it's almost been like a kind of like a human interaction help knowing like how people perceive stuff like what they can tolerate what they like to see how they respond to it it's been really great and it's it's taught me a lot about people and about design and that's actually more of what my role is going to entail just as this year progresses. So, which is good. I, you know, I'm, glad, I'm glad people uh, are still visual creatures and can respond you know, to very uh, complex subjects with a simple approach that appeals to a certain resonant part of their psyche that they may not always define, but they will respond to.
0: I appreciate what you're saying about audience continuing on that topic one of the things about being an analyst as opposed to like strictly being say like a data engineer is as the analyst you're working with the audience in mind and uh, there's a tenant of storytelling in film which is show don't tell um yeah. and it'd be very easy for you to dig into some data throw some stuff in an email um without any sort of visual component there's maybe a column of numbers or you know, a tab or whatever, and to a certain subset of people that might be exactly what they want. I know some people like that, that would be yeah. exactly what they want. They know how to deal with this. There are a lot of people that aren't going to, and just the fact that you gave them raw numbers is already off-putting and alienating. And knowing what that audience needs and being able to show it and then describe it, um, you're reinforcing the message in multiple ways. And then you're also giving them something that they can easily pass on to the next person down the line. Because yep. oftentimes we know that's what's going to happen. It's uh, your audience is very rarely your final audience, so stuff mm-hmm. needs some level of permanence and um, tra- ability to transition between multiple persons without you being stand there, to stand there to hand
1: it off. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. I, I think there's a good, like I, I'm not. I, this is going to be a weird segue to like data literacy, but I feel like there's a little bit. Of palette cultivation that exists in this space. Um, I'll give I'll give kind of a a practical example that involves my uh, satire blog. Yeah, just so I you know I know you I know you brought it up. I I actually run this anonymously with my brother. Um, I've told a few people, but I failed. prefer to. <laughs> that's all right. I didn't tell you what it is or where it's at, but needless to say most this the audience who reads that they're not going to be listening to this and that's okay I, I like them to be very separate but yeah it's anyway it's with a, a town that you know we've interacted with grown up with in, uh, in Virginia and we' found that we can like in some cases we gotta play the hit we got to do the memes. We've got to just make like really dumb jokes that, you know, not like ribald or juvenile things, but just something to where, you know, this town is is never going to get an olive garden or there's one mall that is so decrepit that they're going to use it as a location to shoot uh, the next season of The Walking Dead, which like, it surprises me how you know, viral some of that content gets, it's become a thing in this town. But then there's just other like highbrow kinds of stuff to where it's like really juvenile kind of satire to where memes you get. But when it's like really intricate and like biting at policy, not everybody picks up on it. But we get more and more people who they understand what we're getting at, they are being enlightened post by post, you know, phrase by phrase, the fact that, you know, I don't know if they're ever going to define Horatian and Juvenalian satire or know the difference between the two, but at least, you know, we've gone from people who know the difference between fake news and thinly veiled satire and know, okay, like this is actually funny and nobody would get it. And like, Hey, I spotted that uh, Oz reference to the prison warden, you know, in, in this post about them offering, you know, lobster and, uh filet mignon at the buffet like just things like that where it's like people are starting to notice and and get that and yeah even in even in the satire space right that's that's an effort but so too with you know music with food and i think with with data as well like i i know that you know if you if you love tableau then you're supposed to be predisposed against pie charts uh you know i guess i don't know that's what i heard in training so i kind of gone along with it but You know, like, elevating, like, hey, there's a certain way you like to consume data that just isn't the best way. And it, it, like, Tableau helps bridge a little bit of that gap. Like, hey, this visualization will help you understand the impact better or the non-impact. Like, hey, I can focus on this one element but it's in like this tiny little plot on my box plot, not box plot, my, uh, my tree map. There we go. You know? And it's like, yeah, it's red here, but why not chase like this really big part of the truck? And it's just even things like, you know, normally they'd see this as a sliver on a pie chart, which is very difficult to determine, but a small section of a, you know, a tree map may give a different approach to it. So yeah, I, I like being thoughtful about that. It's not a, it's not a battle it's a it's a war. It's a war for hearts and minds. And as with many ways to change hearts and minds and opinions, it just takes time. It takes time and patience. Uh, and I, as I alluded to earlier in our last episode, I'm always time starved and underpatient, but it is a good way to test both. And it does reap its share of rewards. I know exactly
0: what you mean about the war. And obviously it's not a war against the customer it's uh, a war for the best practice or maybe the thing that will get them get them the answer they need the most because sometimes people have a preconceived notion of what they'd like to see but it doesn't necessarily answer the question that they need to answer um i was doing a project for a senior vice president that i didn't actually even report to so it's kind of an interesting situation i'm not actually even in their structure um but she had some specific asks of what i was working on and one of them was uh, i'd like for it to be uh, on a page that's printable and i don't want any filters or interactivity at all um which is fine but uh the restrictions would have required this to be go from like one page to six pa- uh six yeah. pages that would be difficult to maintain and difficult to troubleshoot and you know, difficult to hand off to another person so what i did was you know uh, she gave me an opportunity to work iteratively with her and provide stuff and say hey is this kind of where you saw this going you know do you understand what i'm showing here uh, that sort of thing because you're never quite sure of the level of data literacy and you don't want to put charts in front of people that sort of you know they they might say yes i feel good about this and then later don't use it um yeah so i got to a place with one page where she really liked it and then i pushed a little bit and i was like okay i put a filter on here i also put Viz and tooltip if you hover on this right mm-hmm. here it shows you all this additional information if you print this mm-hmm. you don't Thank get you. that yeah and um I was able to get a lot farther by delivering what was asked and then pushing just a little bit more um, than I would have had I just, you know, literally just gone with that in the first place. You know, you don't want to be the person that goes rogue because then people see you as, you know, the person that went rogue and doesn't give them what they ask for. But if you give yeah. people what they ask for, and then, you know, just, just a little, little push. Sometimes you gain that traction and it's turned out to be a huge success for, her. I've also in the past done stuff I'd prefer not to do. There's some people that always yeah. want the raw data um uh, it's so, like
1: i tell them like this isn't like i'm not a sushi bar like and this is, <laughs> i i you know you know me right i i actually rehearse almost every conversation so this was one of those like oh if we ever get to the raw data thing like there's an interesting extended analogy about like why do people want the raw materials you know and i i don't i'm not going to pursue it but i i'm with you i i can you know so i when i when i know my audience well enough to say like look i i ain't a sushi bar that's not like I'm not here to carve out. I ain't doing Fatty Kuna, you know, that ain't me. Like I, I don't even refer to my role as, as reporting, you know, like, and I feel like we, I, yeah, there's a lot of good we could do back and, out of, back and out of that kind of business. But nonetheless, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It's a,
0: yeah, I mean, that was, it, that was great. Like I've, I've gone to the point before where I knew there was somebody that always wants that and they always ask yeah. for it no matter what, what I give them. So, What I did to sort of test the efficacy of the dashboard pages I was putting out there was I made several very solid dashboard pages and said, hey, look, I'm going to put an extra page in the back. It's going to be a crosstab. You can apply whatever filters you want. You can get whatever extract you want from this. Um, But these pages ahead of you are probably going to take care of at least 80% of what you want. Start there.
1: Yeah, you know, so I'm going to, I had a conversation. I, I don't visit work, like, you know, work sites often. Uh, I am primarily remote. But when I do, sometimes interesting conversations just happen. And I was talking with my, my predecessor. And, you know, I, I kind of use like a code because I don't, I don't just come out and say, yeah, now no, you know I'm autistic and I'm glad you're still talking to me. But no, like I, you know, I mentioned something about, getting requirements and it is natural for me to struggle with ambiguity Um, it just is and because i know this i am very active in my anti-ambiguity defenses i have like my own anti-ambiguity aircraft missile setup right so i I feel bad my wife you know we kind of had a little bit of it and she's like hey you know can you get the chicken soup started um you know the carrots the onions the celery and I'm like honey I, I need specifics like how do you want your onions cut do you want them in strands diced you know the onions like do you want them or not the onions The garlic like I had to go through a lit. I didn't get anywhere she ended up doing dinner which thanks honey I appreciate it and not great. I like I was like it's not what I meant like I just because I I struggle with it. There's so many opportunities for me to go wrong. And if it can go wrong, I'll do it wrong. It is the same way with analysis to where I know it is a measure thrice and continue to measure until I get it right. And it's like I rarely respond to an email with, cool, I'll build it up. It's like, yo, I, I'm going to put some time on your calendar. You're asking for data to answer a question that you haven't told me. And I tell you, like, if I had a nickel for every time that approach worked for me, I would have a lot of nickels. I mean, it just, it helps to be like, okay, hold on. So just so I'm clear, what are you, what are you looking for? Now that's more data. And it's like, well, what are you ultimately going to do with this? Like, you're giving me a list of ingredients, white bread, peanut butter, jelly, Are you, are you and a and knife. I can't make a knife, but I can find one. And then apply. I'm like, are you trying to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? okay. Listen, like I've got options for you. I've got better jams. You should try it toasted. Get a different kind of peanut butter. Like how about that? Like ultimately, at the end of the day, some people they really do want a PB&J, but they ask for it by way of I need peanut butter and I need jelly, and they they don't have to be the ones to make it. So it's like it's very interesting. And you know, I should have used a more complicated example, like you know, chicken Kiev. Like okay, panko breading, a hammer, chicken paragon, really good butter, you know. But nonetheless, it's it's going to segue into another thing that applied today to where, like, one of the best things we need to cross in the data literacy space is just it's that leap of faith. Um, You know how if you do a box plot in Tableau, you can hide everything but the outliers, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I I
0: thought that was rhetorical. I'm I'm nodding. No.
1: No. Okay. We're on video, (laughs) people. Sorry. I I know. But. I, I've told people, like, I would love to show you this, but it takes a little bit of faith to look at such sparse data and to come to the conclusion, this is, this is what I need to action. This is what I need to go after. And it's like, I was thinking my daughters, they love to hang from my pull-up bar downstairs. I'm trying to win the family pull-up competition this Christmas. I did not win last year. I will beat everybody this year. It will happen even against my professional baseball-playing brother-in-law, who by rights should do more than all of us. But I'm going to find a way to beat him. But my daughters, they love to hang. Mo will say, Dad, can I hang from your pull-up bar? And then Zo, she's won. She'll be like, my turn. I hang. Like, okay, so they hang. But with Mo, I, I tell her, like, it's okay to drop. And I have a lot of empirical evidence to say, like, I know when you fall and you keep your legs straight, you're not gonna hurt yourself. But I almost feel like sometimes we tell people, hey, you're gonna survive this 50 foot fall. I mean, I've got a big old you know, thing, like a trampoline at the bottom or whatever. And sometimes it's just a lot to ask to where like, you're gonna get to where you need in the end. You're just gonna have to trust us on this one because it'll it'll give you what you need. But anyway, I just thought of that because again, I with my younger daughter, I have to catch her if she drops because I can't touch her because she gets mad that I'm interfering with her hanging suspended all 20 pounds of her on like what's basically my ceiling. She's always safe. I've never dropped her, but uh, yeah. Anyway, I know we're almost at time. Um, I did want to say like, since you give me the opportunity to plug something, uh, I do write at the life autistic.com. I think that's my site. Uh, You're not sure. I, yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know if it's dot .org or .com these days. though .com. Autistic. I'm looking at com. it right now. Thank you. I know it's actually, it's not for me folks. It's for the people like me who you haven't met yet. The ones who aren't sharing the experience, but the ones who need to encounter more empathetic and understanding people. And uh, yeah, that's, that's my story. I'll stick to it. I appreciate you having me, man.
0: Hey, Hunter, this this great. is great. Let's do it again, man.
1: We should. We'll do a part three since you lost our part one. So part the two is good. Episode. But we'll, yeah. So, all right, man. Good chatting with you.
0: All right. Thanks, Leonard. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3 and get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one. You won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.